We're going to be continuing our new summer series. This is actually, last week was more of an introduction, and uh, it's going to get more fun as we exercise our spiritual muscles. As we, are you ready? Are you ready to work out? Okay, one person. That's great. When Christianity came to Ireland, how many of you are Irish? Okay, a couple. All right, cool. Well, when, I don't know if you know this, but when Christianity came to Ireland, most of their um, pagan traditions and rituals and worship modes were altered to connect with the present Christian faith that was being presented, kind of to make a connection. And formerly pagan symbols, such as the <clears throat> triquertra, okay, you got that? were reused and repurposed. What do you think this one was for, Re you've reused for? Anybody? Wait, way to go. Yes, Irish Christians took the concept of these three interlocking shapes and uh, that had represented past pagan theologies in worship of, uh, of goddesses and things like that, and they repurposed them to represent Christian theology, biblical theology. Here, as you said, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christians have always tried to communicate this divine concept of the Trinity, and that's where we are today. We're at lesson number one, God, and you got to start with the Trinity. Uh, three persons, but one God, yeah. And in the Triquerta, <clears throat> those three identical yet separate ovals are all linked into one shape, so it's, it's interesting. But what you discover, and maybe you've discovered this as you've gone on in life, is with all human creations, even about the divine, and what you discover is that every one of our attempts, what? Falls short. Every one of them. I don't care what it is. You come up with one, and I will show you from God's Word that it falls short um, in anything I can come up with also. So, so where does our teaching about the Trinity come from in the first place? You know, the word Trinity itself is not found anywhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's not there. But we can trace the teaching of this concept um, as having been a part of the Christian church since the early centuries of its existence. So this is going to be, as I said, spiritual exercise number one in our summer core faith spiritual training program. All right. So let's warm up before we exercise. Are you ready? Some of you are like, Pete, you can get me up. I am not getting out of my seat. I am down. You've had me get up and down a bunch of times already. This is it. No, you, you don't have to get up. This summer, as we go through our spiritual muscle building regimen, remember what the word theology means. What does it mean? Oh, it's up there. Okay, yeah. The study of God. All right. This is a really easy class, by the way. All the answers are going to be up there before you even need them. Theology. It's not a dirty word. Uh, knowing God is what theology is, and it can seem intimidating, but anytime you or I form an opinion about God, anytime you and I make an assertion about Him and our world that you and I live in, or about politics, or the government, or your family, or your friends, or we look to Him for something, or, and we actually pray to Him about anything, for anything, we are in essence doing theology. So, if you say to me, God is good, that's a theological opinion. 
How many of you would say God is good? All right, you just made a thing by putting your hand up. You said, that's theology, Pete. Yeah, that's my opinion on this theological concept. If you say to me, God is bad, it is, okay, it's wrong, but it's a theological opinion, all right? It's a wrong theological opinion, but it's a theological opinion. If we say a prayer to God, how many of you said a prayer to God? I asked this last week, and most of you put your hand up, which was a good thing. You're implying that not only does God exist, but He cares, You believe that He does care. That's why you are putting up that request, that prayer, that praise, that thanksgiving, whatever it is, and you believe that God acts in our lives in an intimate, personal way. Therefore, most of us are theologians, whether we think we are or not. So, where do you go to get your knowledge about God? And please, please, please don't say Facebook. Please, just don't. Don't even go there. I don't care. Where do you go to get your information about God? Well, the source, the source of all true knowledge about God comes from, ironically, the one and only true God Himself. I mean, are you going to trust a human on this? I I caution you here, right? (laughs) You got to go to God. You got to go to God. And over the centuries, that revelation by God of himself to his created beings, you and me, has been divided into two areas. It's been made really simple for us, and we're going to go over it today. Natural revelation. Um, From the creation itself, it screams God. It does. I don't care what National Geographic is putting on TV today. It screams God. And special revelation, that's the second one, primarily God's words that form our Old Testament and New Testament Bibles and in the incarnation of Jesus Christ himself. For, for, let's look at natural revelation. There, there are so many passages, so many passages in God's word that we could go to today that speak of the natural way God reveals himself to his creation, through his creation. And here's just five, five for you today. The first one is Psalm 19 verses 1 to 4. It reads, the heavens declare the glory of God. So there you go, right? Just look up when you get up. Don't look up now. The sky displays His handiwork. Day after day it speaks out. Night after night it reveals His greatness. There is no actual speech or, or word, nor is its voice literally heard. Yet its voice echoes throughout the earth. Its words carry to the distant horizon. This passage says that every day you and I get up, we can look and we can see the glory and the magnificence of God. Have you done that recently? Have you taken a look? Everyone, night and day, 24-7, can comprehend in even a limited way and just look and wonder at the greatness of God, the Creator. Have you done that? I asked that. Have you done that lately? Have you taken a look around and just said, my God. You have to get out of the city to do this, usually. And we can all agree that when we go out on a starry, clear night, and we can go, what an amazing galaxy, right? When you see the Milky Way up there, and it's just, it's just beautiful. It's just awe-inspiring, and you just go, whoa. But then you ask, 
How did it get there? This vastness. Well, the second passage is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. It reads, Paul says, for the wrath of God. Okay, so you got the splendor, and now, oh, now we got wrath. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, suppress the truth about God and who He is, even in creation. For what can, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It's out there. Just go outside. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of this world in the things that have been, what? Made. So they are without excuse. Paul adds another thing here that we can learn from creation. It's just how powerful God is and how just God is. He, justice is his thing. And that we're responsible for what we do with what we see. You can't just walk away and ignore it. Third one, Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, makes a statement. He says, but I say to you, he's talking to his disciples, love your enemy. How many of you like that verse? Yeah, nobody put their hand up. That's interesting. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. But Pete, no, no, this is what it says. So that you may be like your Father in heaven, because that's what He's like. Since He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In explaining that His disciples need to love their enemies... Jesus also mentions as an aside that the blessings of the sun and the rain on crops go to everybody. It's not exclusive to those who love God. Everywhere, everybody experiences one or the other, and whether they are righteous or unrighteous doesn't seem to matter. And this implies that God, God's love in this way goes to everyone in His creation. It's seen through these natural blessings, which is sometimes referred to as common grace. Have you ever heard that, that phrase, common grace? Here it is. And in a passage just like Matthew's, Paul in Acts chapter 14, he's preaching to a bunch of people who have never heard about Jesus, and he's trying to explain to them the whole idea of Jesus Christ come to earth, and he addresses the topic with them of God's goodness, trying to introduce them to God, the real God, not the one that they're worshiping through idols and he, he, he picks up on God's goodness, something that we all witness in the blessings God gives to people. And Dr. Luke records this passage. It's the fourth one we're going to look at, that we are look, going to look at. And he says, in past generations, he, that's God, allowed all the nations to go their own way. He just said, you want to you wanna make your own choices? You go and see how that works out for you. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness by doing good by giving you rain from heaven in fruitful seasons for everybody, satisfying you with the food and your hearts with joy. And I, I know food <clears throat> today is getting expensive, isn't it? And you're all, going, all God's people said, yes, it is. But is there food? 
You tell me. Is there food? Yeah, there's a lot of food. Oh, but it's, the shelves are empty. No, they're not. I can tell by looking at most of you they're not. Just, just putting that out there. There is enough food to go around on this planet. It's just greed. It's mankind's greed that keeps it from getting to everyone. Not God, because He provides all that we need. And the fifth passage, the last one, is from Genesis chapter… We're going back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created humankind in His own image. Wow, that tells you a lot about God. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. Now, Jesus, when we were going through John just recently, went through the Gospel of John, Jesus told us there that God is a spirit. Remember with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 24? And since man is created in God's image, as it says right from the very beginning, there must be something about the immaterial nature of you and me, our spirit, that is a reflection of the image of God. The question is, what part of God's image is there in us that reflects God the Creator? Well, for starters, both God and man are personal, we know that, relational, moral, we have an inkling about that, and rational. And these are just a few of the inferred characteristics for both God and man. So, what can we understand in this really brief survey, just five uh, passages, about God through His natural revelation, what He has created? Well, number one, God is glorious, God is powerful, and He's just. God shows love to everyone, God is good to everyone, and God is personal, He's relational, He's moral, and He's rational. So, we learn a lot about God, right? Amen? Yeah, we learn a lot about God. This is a amazing observation, but <clears throat> if we ended here, you all left and said, oh, man, I know, I know five things about God, and you, let, you walked out, um, well, whoopee, right? You'd have many more questions and huge concerns about God in this life than you have answers from just looking at creation. Natural revelation leaves us staring at the sky and wondering why. That's where it leaves you. But God so loved the world that He did not leave us standing and staring and wondering why. Probably with a lot of fear and confusion as we meditated on it a little more. What is not understood about God through natural revelation, through creation, is understood through the second one that I talked about, the way that we look at God and define Him, and that is special revelation. As good as natural revelation is, and it is good, special revelation is needed to communicate more specific truths about God and His plan specifically of salvation for you and for me, getting us out of the mess that we've created. Paul states that the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ's life, His death and His resurrection, the good news that brings me from death to life, needs to be preached and needs to be heard. It's in Romans 10, 14. And how are they to believe in one that they have never heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? How is this going to happen? No one 
is going to understand God's plan of salvation by looking at the star system. No one is going to understand the, God's plan of salvation by digging up thousand years of human history out of the ground or watching the sun and the rain make things grow. Even understanding what natural revelation communicates about God comes from the special revelation that you and I find in the Bible. Or we'd be just like, wow, this is amazing, but what does it mean? What does it all mean? Special revelation includes God speaking to people through, through signs and through wonders and through dreams and visions, manifestations of God Himself, inspired verbal messages, inspired written messages, and most important of all, the coming of God, incarnated in Jesus Christ, God's special revelation revealed in the flesh, the living Word of God. So we're going to talk more about the special revelation of the Bible later in the summer when we look at core faith, the Bible. For now, let's just say that without the Bible, mankind would be very much in a fog of knowledge about God and His actions. And we're also going to talk more about the special revelation of the living Word, um, who is God's Son when we, when we talk about core faith, Jesus Christ. By the way, someone once sat in my office and asked me, why do we always just talk about Jesus? And I was like, what, what you think this is some kind of community group or like uh, social network? Is this, I mean, I didn't say that. I'm, I'm much, much kinder than that. Help, help them think it through. But without Jesus, there is no hope. There is no church. There is no salvation. Without the Bible, we're in a total fog. Without Jesus, we've got no way out of the fog. And there are many different approaches for you and I to gain a better understanding of God through His special revelation as it's found in the Bible. And one way is, is how we are presently doing it on Sundays, where we, uh, we go together verse by verse. We have been going together verse by verse through the books of God's special revelation. That's, that's, that is one way. That's one approach. Another good way to start to understand God, which we're trying to do today, is through the very names of God. They're, 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 they're really amazing. As recorded in His special revelation about Himself, names have meaning attached to them, very, very much so in the biblical world. For instance, Peter means... A rock. Yeah, seriously, I'm a rock. All right, whatever. Henry, um, who Ben and Abby Robinson dedicated last night. Were you here for that dedication? The, the cutest little kid in the world. I mean, just adorable. Um, his name means, anybody remember? Ruler of the house, right, which I think every kid should be named Henry. And, um, and it means it's kind of got the idea of Lord. Um, Jason, our student... Uh, pastor means, in the Greek, means healer. So you got a problem that ails you? You go see Jason, right? Laney, is that true? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Matthew. You, you know him as Matt. You're like, his name is Matthew? Yeah. No. Matt, our worship leader. His name means gift of God. Ooh. Karen? Karen? Is this true? Today? Yeah, he's gift of God. Okay, sweet. Matt's going like this. Right? 
The names of God are no exception. Uh, They can give us a lot of instruction as to who God is and what His character is exactly like. The first reference to God in the Old Testament is the Hebrew, Hebrew word Elohim, and it's in the very first sentence of the entire book of the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and its root meaning is to be strong. That's what Elohim, or we translated God, that's what it means. It means to be strong. It's the strong one. When you're speaking of God, you probably should say the strongest one. Yeah. In the Greek, it's theos. In English, it's God. And Elohim is used like 2,310 times. I counted. No, I didn't. It's, it's, I, I looked it up. It's 2,310. That's just Elohim or the word God. For the true God in the Old Testament doesn't include all the other references to gods, uh, false gods, evil gods. And one interesting point about this name for God, Elohim, is it's plural. In the Hebrew, it's a plural word. And a common explanation for this, and one that I like, is that it's a, it's a plurality of majesty indicating the manifold greatness of God. He's just too magnificent, too mag- majestic to have a simp- simple, singular name. So, you've got to make it plural. It's also been suggested that it allows for the later special revelation that you get throughout Scripture as you go from Old to New Testament of the Trinity. And we'll talk about that a little later. Later, There are compound names using Elohim. Um, The short form is El. Whenever you see El in your Bibles, that's uh, that's Elohim. Um, One is El Shaddai. Have you you guys familiar with that one? Right? God Almighty, Genesis 17.1. That's God's omnipotence. He's all-powerful. There is no one more powerful. And in El Elyon means God Most High, Genesis 14, 19, speaking of God's supremacy, speaking of God's sovereignty. Then there's El Elam. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. El Olam. It means the everlasting God. And that's in Genesis 21, 33. Have you noticed that most of these come in Genesis? Like right from the very first book, God's saying, you're going to know who I am. You're going to know what I'm like. And you're going to know what my character's like. And that's the everlasting God. And it's His timelessness for or His eternality. And then El Roy, it's not one of the Jetsons, okay? I know. Some of you had to go wake back in the do a rewind. means the God who sees. This is His omniscience. There's nothing hidden from His sight. He knows it all, Genesis 16. And there is the personal name for God in the Old Testament, the Hebrew name written with just four consonants, Y-H-W-H, that we pronounced, yeah, that we pronounced Yahweh. Scholars have surmised uh, by a lot of study that these are the vowels, and this is the, that, that what the vowels might have been for Yahweh. And these four consonants are sometimes referred to as the tetragrammaton. Say that ten times fast. Go. Yeah, amen. It's not one of Megatron's friends from the Transformers. This is, a, this is something else. This personal name for God first occurs in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, right in the second chapter. 
And then it occurs about 5,321 times in the Old Testament. It's, it's related, most likely related to a Hebrew word which has the, carries the idea of to be. He just is. Or he exists. God is holy. He is completely other. He's other than anything else because anything else other than God is created and He is not. And the name Yahweh, all wrapped up in that, was considered so sacred to the Israelites that they were not allowed to even speak it. So as a substitute, because they didn't, I mean, the the Scriptures were written out, but hardly anybody had them, and they were recited or they were memorized or they were read aloud to a large crowd or to small gatherings. And as a substitute, whenever they came to that name Yahweh, those four consonants, as they were reading it, they would use another word, Adonai, which means Lord. And that's why in your English translations that you have in the Old Testament, you'll find capital L-O-R-D capitalized 5,321 times. Do you know why? Because that's the name Yahweh. A key passage regarding God's personal name is Exodus chapter 3, and in it you have Moses, and it says, starting in verse 13, then Moses said to God, God's telling him, I want you to go to the Israelites in Egypt, I want you to to deliver them, all right? And he says, well, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me (laughs) to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Notice that Moses was instructed by God himself to what? To verbalize God's name, Yahweh, to Israel. Saying the name itself is even commanded by God so that people would know that this is his name, this is who he is. God said 800 years after Moses, this encounter that Moses had with with God in the burning bush, he, uh, he said through the prophet Isaiah in Chapter 42, verse 8, I am the Lord. See that capital L-O-R-D? That's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And as with the name L that we saw, there are also compound names for Yahweh, using Yahweh. Yahweh Jireh means the Lord will provide You know where that popped up? It's in Genesis 22. Abraham named God this. This is a name given to him by the human Abraham after God provided a ram as a substitute for his son Isaac who was one second away from being offered as a sacrifice. Yahweh Shalom means the Lord is peace. Gideon gave God, actually he gave a place where he was this name. He used God's personal name to name the place where God had just promised Gideon that he would be safe, 
and that he should not know fear. Yahweh Sabot means the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. And then a very familiar one that we all know, <clears throat> Yahweh Roy from Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. And all these names, they indicate the greatness of God and they show us how concerned He is with meeting our needs in the various situations we all face. Someone once said, God is the answer. So now what is the question? I love that. So what is God like? While the names of God begin to address the question that we're asking today, but there's so much more, and there's so much more that we can look at, and they're the attributes of God, the attributes that we can know and read about. They are, they are God's perfections. Um, they, are, they are done perfectly in God. You and I reflect God, but we cannot reflect His attributes perfectly. Only He can. I know some people who are very, very loving. Are they perfectly loving? You, you answer it. It's an easy one. It's two letters. No. no, exactly. They're not. Only God is. And I've, put, I've actually put a, an outline on the back, uh, some information on the attributes of God that you can grab on your way out. It's also available um, under the video on our church website, and you can click on that and get a PDF of that. Um, and here's another thing to remember when you talk about the attributes of God. You have to be careful when studying these attributes. You can't elevate one attribute over another. We, we, we all do this. We emphasize the one that we're thinking about right now because whenever you do that, you make your own caricature of God. But He's all of them in perfect harmony, in perfect balance, all together. Okay, let's get back and finish with the Trinity. And you're like, Pete, we're at the end of the message and you're going to talk about the Trinity? Yes, I am. Um, the Trinity is probably the most important doctrine of our Christian faith in defining God. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, the actual word Trinity itself doesn't even occur in the, occur in the Bible. And add to that, the basically it's basically indescribable because of our human condition. We're all flawed with sin. And our understanding and our comprehension of the divine is so limited. Uh, but it's a formulation of truths that are taught in the Bible. And a pretty good and concise definition of the Trinity is this. One God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So where is this teaching communicated in scriptures? Well, well first, let's go to the Old Testament. The Bible teaches very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, that there is only one God. We got that. Listen, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is, everybody, one. That's pretty clear, right? So we got the one down. And then the New Testament repeats that. Paul in uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God. There's how many gods? One God. So we got that. All right. But second, the Bible teaches us in his... In, in God's special revelation, we're taught that there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit, and that they're all God. And all have equal characteristics that are all equal and unique to that one God, but they all have different roles. So to make this point, 
I'm going to use one supporting passage for each member of the Trinity. For the Father, Romans 1.7, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Son, Hebrews 1.8, this is God speaking, but, the Son, but of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father calls the Son God. That's a good enough for me. For the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land? You have not lied to people, but you have lied to the Holy Spirit. He says, you have lied to God. In the Great Commission, from the Son of God, Jesus, to all of his followers, illustrates the three-in-oneness. Look at this. Jesus uses a singular word, name, for all three members of the Trinity. Matthew records what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19. He tells us, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the singular name of who? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One singular name, yet three persons with their own unique name. There is no perfect illustration of the Trinity. Uh, that one I showed at the beginning, the old um, Irish symbol, is, is nice, but it's still limited. It can't capture who God really is. The other analogies have been used over the, year, over the years to try and communicate it. Like you got the egg. Have you guys ever used that one? You got the egg. It's what? It's got a shell. It's got the white. It's got the yolk, but it's still one egg. Uh, the sun, you have light, heat, and mass, yet it's still one, the sun. Or water, you got liquid, you tell me, steam, I heard, the, I heard, and ice, right? All right, liquid, steam, and ice, you can make up other ones, but it's one water. So people are using these to try to get our minds around this concept, but every one of them falls short. They do, because we know the triune nature of God, that He exists as this three-in-one through what? Natural creation? No. Special revelation. In His Word, that's the only way we know this. Not through natural revelation, His creation. In the 70s, um, just after I got saved, I heard a burned-out hippie from the 60s use apple pie as a description to explain the Trinity of God. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool at the time. Now, not so much. Um, it was reported that St. Patrick, getting back to these Irish roots, he used the three-leaf clover in teaching about the Trinity. Three leaves and one clover equals the concept of one God in three persons. And I wonder what he would have done if he'd reached down and picked one up and it had been a four-leaf clover. Okay. Just, just pointing that out. Our God is a great and awesome God. Our God is the answer to all of life's questions. He's the answer to every human need, whatever you got today. Our God has communicated Himself to us through His creation. He's communicated Himself to us through His special revelation. And people in our world your friends, my friends, people we all know in our community, people we know in our own family are starving 
for the greatness of God. But often they're only served up a very weak illustration, a very weak description, and hardly any special revelation at all. So most do not hear God's most and own penetrating diagnosis about His true character and about their true troubled lives. God is the cure, yet the majesty of our God is a less prescribed cure in our time. There are way more popular prescriptions on the world market today to cure our troubled lives, but many of us will could come up here and bear witness one after another in this room alone and could stand here and testify that we have personally discovered that the real benefit of any of these worldly remedies is brief and at best very, very shallow. Only God's answer, Jesus' perfect life, Jesus' sacrificial death and His bodily resurrection can fix what's been broken, hands down. And that's the good news about God. It's good news that I have seen and I have believed. Have you? I believe in who God is as delivered in special revelation and what He has done. And that's the good news. You and I all have the responsibility to live and to tell. Would you rise with me? The only response to who God is is to worship Him, and then to go out these doors and tell others. I can't think of anything else. Pray with me, Heavenly Father, as we bow before You. We testify of Your greatness. We thank You for Your plan of salvation. We thank You for the revelation of Your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for those that you brought into so many of our lives over the years who have told us and shown us who your Son and our Savior is. We thank you for the faith that you gave us to believe. And, Lord, we are mindful that this job is far from over. And your call and your commission to each of us to go is still relevant. So God, we lift our voices to you now as a expression that you have gifted each of us to do in worship of you from hearts filled with good gladness and joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.